Hey, greetings, everyone. Thank you to Slush and this extraordinary community for hosting. My name is Gabe. Uh, I run marketing and founder solutions at Obvious Ventures, and I'm here to talk about startup storytelling. So it's a pleasure to be back in Europe. I lived in Belgium for a few years where I enjoyed my fix of Belgian beers. And since I've been here in Finland, I've been digging on the Finnish fish, and it's really been a pleasure. So before we dive in a little bit about me, there are three things in this world that I am deeply passionate about. One are my daughters, that's Ezra and Ripley. The second is my wife, the PhD biologist with the brains and all the guts in the family. And the third is cheese. And when I say cheese, I really mean cheese. When I'm not with my family, or eating cheese, or eating cheese with my family, there are two things that I focus on in this world. One is a nonprofit that I co-founded. It's called Megafire Action. We exist to end the megafire crisis in the United States within a decade. And we're doing this in three ways. One, through policy action. The second, removing barriers to progress. And the third, by sparking wildfire science and private sector innovation. I've also been building Obvious Ventures for the past seven years. Obvious is an early-stage venture capital firm based in San Francisco. We back purpose-driven founders reimagining the basic building blocks of life and society, making our, plant, making our food system more plant-forward, electrifying every single internal combustion engine on the planet, making housing more sustainable and affordable, and making healthcare more of a values-driven and outcome-based business. So what's common across both of those uh, things is that I'm passionate about building big, meaningful, impactful endeavors in the world. And what's even more is that I love working with founders who are building even bigger, more impactful things. And that's you. That's you, the entrepreneurs in this room, and I'm honored that you've given me your time today. So I'm going to ask you something that most presenters would not ask. I want you to take out your phones, and I want you to hold them up. T take your phones out and hold them up. Now, I want you to pull up an incognito window in whatever your preferred search browser is. DuckDuckGo, if you value privacy. Google, if you want to give up all your privacy in exchange for a better experience. And Bing, if that's even still a thing. And now I want you to search your company. Type your company into the browser and search. And I'll give you a, I'll give you a few seconds to scroll through the results. All right. Now, granted, your company can't be summarized by what gets typed into a search bar and spit out by a search engine. But is it clear why you exist, what your purpose is? Is what you're seeing relevant to the people or businesses that you're targeting? 
What are the chances that your target will actually see that message? And is your story a truthful one? These are the topics that we're going to be exploring today, going into the startup storytelling playbook. And while much of this may seem obvious, it's one of the biggest challenges that our startups face. Because the simple fact is, it doesn't matter how big your idea is, or how great your technology is, or how incredible your team is. If you're not intentional about crafting your story, some story, some narrative exists nonetheless. And it is crowded out there. We know that your story matters to you, but is it a compelling one that can break through the clutter? Making it even harder is that you think your competition is just within your category, but it's not. You are fighting for attention with Netflix, with football, with ice hockey, with what's happening with Twitter today. You're in a fight for relevance and attention with every single person that you are targeting. And whether you're B2B or you're in the consumer business, you need to shake people out of existing behaviors so that they can be aware of your message, consider whatever it is that you're saying thoughtfully, and then act on it. This all starts and ends with your purpose. Why on earth do you exist? Why are you sitting in these chairs here today, spending your working and waking hours doing whatever it is that you're doing? Starting with and stating your purpose succinctly is a necessary step in helping anyone understand your broader vision. It should roll off your tongue in any conversation, and it should show up first in any search result. You should repeat yourself saying it so often, you get sick of hearing yourself say it. So what does a good purpose statement look like? A former colleague and friend of mine, Joe Brown at IDEO, came up with this very simple framework. Now, it's simple, and it doesn't really matter what order it's in, but it works pretty well. We exist to blank in order to do blank. Now, these are the basic building blocks again. It doesn't have to be in that order. Doing what for whom? Some examples. Let's start with hometown hero Sami Inkinen. He's Finnish, by the way. Sami's first stab at entrepreneurship was Trulia, a real estate technology company that went public in the United States. After he did that, he took a little break, won an Ironman championship, as one does, and then he started Verda. Now, Verda, to me, is one of the most incredible mission-driven companies out there, and it's because it is anchored in its purpose. Reverse diabetes in 100 million people by 2025. This picture was signed by their first employees and hangs hung in their office, uh, in their first office in San Francisco. And it is now a larger-than-life presence in their offices and everywhere that they go. Now, this does bring me to a slight amendment to the purpose statement architecture. And this is ambitious, and it can be even risky, so proceed with caution. And that's adding a time-bound goal to your, to your purpose statement. We did this with Megafire Response, with Megafire Action. We took a page out of their book. Our mission is to end the Megafire crisis within a decade. And you do this to create urgency. 
So I debated putting this next example in for fear of beating you over the head with social movements because you're entrepreneurs, you're not social activists. But when it comes down to it, you are trying to create a movement with your company. You're trying to change behavior at a massive scale. And that reminded me of this quote from Seth Goldman. Seth Goldman was the founder of Honest Tea, which he sold to Coca-Cola, and then he was executive chairman of Beyond Meat when they went public. And this is what he said. Activists channel their passion towards social issues and advocate for change. At the same time, entrepreneurs work to develop lasting innovations that shift the marketplace. The next time you notice a group of activists who care strongly about an issue and are willing to march, rally, lobby, vote, boycott uh, for a cause, pay attention. They may be highlighting a market opportunity. Now, when I think of what we can learn from social activists here, one such thing has to do with taglines. Now, a purpose is not a tagline, but it can be. And here's one amazing example from Billie Jean King's Women's Sports Foundation. Turn up the volume. When we move, we're better. It's when we stand still that we're in trouble for womankind and for humankind. We believe that having equal opportunity to be active and to play is the way we achieve our full potential, no matter who you are, who you love, where you live. You deserve the chance to move and to play, to use sport to unlock everything you want to be and all you want to do. We start today to change tomorrow so that every girl and woman can realize her power. Every game needs more girls. It's her time, it's our time. All girls, all women, all sports. All girls, all women, all sports. It doesn't get any more clear than that. And as the father of two daughters, I just get totally fired up every time I watch that. Now, lastly, there's incredible health. Their purpose is also simple, helping healthcare workers find and do their best work. It's a marketplace of healthcare professionals seeking jobs and hospitals looking to hire them. Now, the hospitals apply to the nurses instead of the other way around. It's a two-sided marketplace, so who is this for exactly? You only see healthcare professionals mentioned in their purpose statement. And this brings us to point number two, target. This seems obvious, but it's not because there are many, many, many people and businesses that you have to consider when you're building your business, and especially if you're a startup. So years ago, I met entrepreneur Marcella Sapone. She's the co-founder and CEO of Alfred, another real estate technology company with many stakeholders to consider. And she, she brought up this Robert Simon's quote to me from his classic business book, Seven Strategy Questions. If you have more than one customer, over time, you end up in a web of twisted trade-offs that make it difficult to scale, grow, and compete. Robert Simons cautioned that most decisions in any business would come from this one decision. Who is your customer? This brings me back to incredible health. So this is Eman Abuzaid. She's the co-founder and CEO of Incredible Health. She didn't build the definitive healthcare labor marketplace in the United States because 
She is a, an MD because she has her Wharton MBA, because she worked at McKinsey, or because she got her seed funding at Obvious Ventures. No. It's because she ruthlessly prioritized one target and one target alone, and that was healthcare professionals, specifically nurses. Now remember, it's a two-sided marketplace. It doesn't work without the hospitals, but as you'll notice, again, hospitals are nowhere mentioned in their purpose statement. They went all in on healthcare pros. And just how far in is all in? It's all in completely. We're talking about salary estimators, free continuing education courses, guides and resources. They built a whole thing just for new nurse graduates, and they have this freebie program where they give stuff away every week. The message is clear. This is the place for nurses. The message is everywhere. And guess what? They're now signing up 10,000 nurses per week. So while there's no mention of hospitals, where do you think hospitals are going to go to access the best talent? Okay, so we're good, right? One target, one target only, don't have to worry about anyone else? No, there's always a but. So, my, a former uh, colleague of mine and friend, Nan Lee, uh, he's recently started his own biotech fund, and he had this really insightful uh, quote, which I thought was helpful. So many different types of people, industry executives, prospective employees, Venture capitalists, journalists, government officials, advisors, and more have to buy into a pretty radical idea to make it successful. One such founder with a radical idea is Chris Gibson, the co-founder and CEO of Recursion Pharma. Chris saw a big problem, the rising cost and time to get new therapeutic drugs to market. And not that long ago, the average cost of bringing a new drug to market was $2.5 billion. He recognized the potential of computational biology to upend more traditional, hypothesis-driven, human-led approaches to drug discovery, and that at this moment, this explosion in data, plummeting costs to analyze that data, and then high-throughput machines, their ability to test potential cures and treatments at a scale and with a speed never before seen. In the spring of 2021, Recursion went public on the NASDAQ with 37 assets in clinical development. That is astounding for a company that was started in just late 2013. Okay, so let's rewind the clock a little bit. At the beginning, he had to get lab space. So he had to share his story with the University of Utah, and he had to convince them to give him that space. He had to get some credibility in the market, and he had to talk to journalists to get coverage for what he was talking about. He had to get money from investors, and we all know how we got to dumb it down a little bit for the investors. He had to recruit incredible talent from industry titans like Genentech, as well as business leaders from other places. He had to get those industry players to agree to put their assets on his platform. And lastly, he had to be able to navigate regulatory authorities. That's a lot of audiences. So how did they do it? And that brings us to the third part, the message. There is never, ever, ever just one message. You need to find the right resolution of your message with the right audience at the right time. Let's go back to our hometown hero, Sami Inkinen. Here's what Sami says. As a founder, you have to be agile with the story. How scientific, how technical, 
how much about what we're doing today versus what we're doing in the future. It's something I think about and do all the time. And if you look at recursion and what they did, they practically wrote the book on this. When the team was speaking with journalist Tom Semenite at MIT Tech Review, how technical do you think the story was? How much about what they were doing at that present moment versus what they were aiming to do in the future? How did his conversation with Genentech veteran Tina Larson on the left differ from his conversation with Heather Kirkby on the right? She was coming from, from Intuit, which was a Silicon Valley tech company. She didn't know very much about computational biology. How did the conversation between the investors differ from that of the industry insiders, many of whom were deeply skeptical of this technology? Here's Chris again. To get people excited and across the line, we didn't have to tell the whole story. We could tell a higher level overview about drug discovery. We simplified the story the first time and were ready to peel back the onion as people were more and more interested. Now, when Chris shares their story and when he did in the past, he always started with a human element and with an emotional hook to the story. This is a picture from Recursion's first big office in Salt Lake City. There are no images of computational algorithms and high-dimensional data sets. These are pictures of the people whose diseases they are trying desperately to cure. The best storytellers always lead with an emotional hook for what, and, and they articulate why what they're doing matters. So this can be applied in any context, B2B or consumer. On the consumer side, Here's another Scandinavian group that I love, a portfolio company of ours called, Hed called Hedvig. They run fantastic campaigns, and they are always emotional. Here, they're trying to help us practice a little non-attachment for, for anyone buying insurance. And then you go to their website, and it's clearly quite functional, but you'll also notice that it's jargon-free. Now, this is the crux of marketing anything and everything, emotional and functional benefits. And in practice, it means starting with the high level and the emotional, and then diving into the functional when needed. Now, starting with only one element and then figuring out what else to disclose after that is classically known in interaction design as progressive disclosure. My colleague, James Joaquin, turned me on to this term as applied in a marketing context. Now, you still always want to start with the most abstract, and then you drill down depending on the audience. And it, it's really actually a journey that you're taking people on. And everyone's journey is different with different waypoints along the way. Which brings us to our next category, where you show up for each of them. Now, there are a lot of journey maps out there, and you have a lot of stakeholders that you want to create those journey maps for. My only advice here is to invest early in research to understand where you're showing up and how. It means walking in the shoes of your customer whenever possible as well, because radical empathy can not only reframe your message, but it can also inform your product or your service. So here's a classic case study from IDEO from a long time ago. A hospital system hired the agency to completely reimagine their patient experience. So the project lead decided to walk into one of their facilities and check himself in. And he did so with a video camera attached to his head. 
He walked out four hours later with three and a half hours of this. Probably not the best experience you want to give to your patients. Now, for those of you with kids, here's another way to look at it. We all think that our, what we're designing is the coolest, greatest thing, but oftentimes our customers, they just see butts. Now, we at Obvious, we ourselves were a startup in 2014. All we had was a logo in a box. We had one anchor LP, Ev Williams, who you probably saw on the stage yesterday. And I came in and I wanted to understand what were all the moments that mattered for our main target, for our entrepreneurs. And we ended up, after months of research, creating this journey map. And this anchors pretty much every decision we make with how we work with our founders. One example is the start of our relationship with those founders when we close our deals. So most venture firms will probably give you a see at the board meeting with a bottle of wine. And we decided that we wanted to articulate to our founders how important this relationship was to us and how much we empathized with their journey. And so we created this welcome kit. And it included a very heartfelt letter, and it still does to this day, where we talk about the journey and how difficult the founder journey is and how we know. And it also came with a pretty cool keepsake, this levitating light bulb. We only drilled into the functional at the end where we talked about a resource hub for our founders called Essentials, which is at the bottom of the letter. To this day, the levitating light bulb sits with so many of our founders in their offices and on their desks. This is Darwin AI CEO Sheldon Fernandez conducting an interview for a Canadian newspaper. There's the light bulb front and center. This is also about knowing when you should not show up, when you should step out of the way and let people connect with each other, like we do at our CEO summits. All the way through to public markets, which is an incredible occasion for any founder. Now, many investors will deliver a Lucite block with logos in that block as the commemoration of that moment. And we thought it required something more special. We commissioned an artist who worked on the Star Wars franchises to build custom rockets for us, bespoke for each company that went public. Proterra, Beyond Meat, Recursion, Lilium, and Planet, as a few examples. And even when we don't win a deal, we send our founders a special deck of obvious design cards, wishing them luck on a winning hand and asking them to remember to deal us in for the next time. Whatever your journey you take them on, remember, keep it aspirational, but it has to be grounded in the truth. And this is our last section. So back to Chris. Learning to tell the story of recursion, to tell a truthful narrative that highlights the potential of our company was one of the most important things I could do as CEO. You have to learn how to tell your story and be completely honest but also to get people excited. Now, you may believe the story of Theranos was simple and an outright fraud, but the more I learned, the more I think it's something different. I think she believed that she could make that possible, that she could test that many assays on a single drop of blood. She wasn't honest with herself. 
and people got harmed as a result. This is still instructive to all of us. You have to be honest with yourselves in order to be honest with others. Now, I see companies today where I wonder, is this even possible? What stories are they telling themselves and how is that impacting the story they're telling us? Commonwealth Fusion Systems is one of those companies. Their goal is to commercialize nuclear fusion technology within the next 10 to 15 years. Now, in case you were wondering, nuclear fusion has yet to be demonstrated in pretty much any context, let alone commercialized. But I like the words that they use on their site. They talk about pathways and potential, and they're sharing a vision in very calculated steps. They're ambitious, but they don't reek of hubris or arrogance. So the main takeaway here, just be honest. Okay, if you take anything away from this talk, it's these five things. Your purpose, state it clearly, say it so often you get sick of hearing yourself say it. Establish a clear, uh, sorry, articulate and stack rank your targets, but really, you can only choose one. Your message, right resolution, right audience at the right time. Lead with the emotional and then go for the functional. Map the journey and design for the moments that matter. And be aspirational, but make sure everything that you say is grounded in the truth throughout it all. Feel free to drop me a line. I'm Gabe at Obvious. I'll probably be flying away with that Tweety Bird at some point, so you can look me up on LinkedIn. And I'm always good for some free advice, but you also know the way to my heart. Thank you.